Oh, Yahweh, the opportunity yet again that you present and you invite me in to share in your truth, knowledge, and wisdom, Father God, and the words that you give to me and guide me. Thank you, Father, for this, this opportunity to bless others as you have blessed me and to speak of your love, God, that is that is you. So yes, the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit are praiseworthy and should be praised. For this day is the day that the Lord has made. Rejoice and be glad in it. And again, I say rejoice because God loves us so much that he gave his only begotten Son. We read about God's love in many, many scriptures. And um, we're going to kind of touch on that. I know I've been doing that for a couple uh, sessions now, but you know, it's important because we forget about it. The world is at war. The nation is at uh, enmity with one another. They're elected officials that are not doing what they want them to do. And so many people then try to explain things away with their finite minds. But know and remember this, that God is love and true love. True love is of God and is given by him. For if it were not for that being in us and given to us by our heavenly father, we wouldn't be able to others and yes that is true you look around the world and see how this is so often around get into that shortly so in Luke 21 28 we find a scripture when things begin to I'm going to read it out of my Bible. This is uh, something I noted down, but I'm going to I'm going to read it out of my Bible. Bear with me, please, 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 please. And when things begin to come to pass, then look up and lift up your heads, for your redemption draweth nigh. Well, what? does that mean? Well, we were told by Christ Jesus that in Matthew 24, he tells us that things are not going to be so good. And you have those individuals that, as I've shared with you before, talk about Oh, that's just so doom and gloom. I don't want to, I don't like to read the book of Revelation and, and I don't like to read about this stuff. I just want to read about all the happy, happy, joy, joy and the bluebirds of happiness and the tweeting in the fields and the flowers and the trees and the birds and the bees. That's all I want to read about. Well, excuse me, but that's very pharisaical and not according to the word of God and you're not learning anything because you choose to cherry pick what scriptures you're going to read. The word of God is his truth and it speaks to 
all of us without the word. And you have to follow the rule of faith. I've shared this with you before. From front cover to back cover, back cover to the front cover, and you will find that God interweaves many things in the word of God and all those things read. So point to that again, that I'm going to, um, I'm going to refer to. And Luke 21, 28, when things begin to come to pass and look up and lift up your heads for your redemption draw by. What does that mean? That means that our rescue and our saving is, is in Christ. So when things happen and all that stuff that's talked about in the book of Revelation, and remember I've shared this with you and tried to get you to understand this before. And in many translations you will find that in the heading on the top page, when it talks about the book of Revelation, right underneath the, the book, it doesn't do it in, in my in my father's study Bible, but in Bibles it says Revelation, and then right under it says of Jesus Christ. Well, it is. Because if you read the book of Revelation, or if you have ever read it and you continue to read it, it's all about Jesus. Jesus comes to visit John, his beloved disciple, on the island of Patmos. And I've shared this with you before. They couldn't kill John, which is why he's on Patmos, because they attempted to. They attempted to hang him. They attempted to crucify him. They attempted to put him in prison and starve him to death. They even put him into a big old pot full of boiling oil. They couldn't kill him. So Roman magistrates and they got together and said, you know, we can't figure out how to get rid of this guy and we, we can't do it with everything that we've possibly done that we know how to do and the tortures and everything that we've done, but he won't die. So what we're going to do is we're going to take him out on this island. We're going to put him out there on Patmos. It's our prison hold and we're going to put him out there and then he'll die of old age and hopefully that won't be before the island withers away to nothing and it's just eroded away. So, uh, you know, hopefully that'll happen out there and they, they weren't even sure about that. So they, they banished John to the island of Patmos except that Jesus came and visited him there and he was given visions and he wrote letters to the churches, the angels of the churches, which are, as I've shared with you before, the, the pastors, or the pastoral leaders of the church are referred to as angels and in some passages, the shepherds, but they're hirelings. And Jesus warns us of the hirelings that don't really care because they are just that, they're hirelings. They're, they're in it for what they can get and make and don't really care as he cares for us. Uh, Jesus is the good shepherd and he loves us. He loved us then, he loves us now, and he'll always will. This is why I do what I do, because he wants me to ensure that others have the opportunity for redemption. And just like in that scripture, tells us to look up, 
When things begin to come to pass and look up and lift up your heads for your redemption, draweth nigh. What does that mean? Well, instead of looking at it all doom and gloomy, hello, remember Jesus said this is going to happen and it will be this way. But when all this starts happening, you look up and realize that he's coming back. All this is happening because he's on his way. And you watch. Be watchful and mindful. And I have to ensure that I am being more lightweight because let me tell you, I'm going to share this with you. The enemy is coming hard on and he really, really likes me to not be doing what I'm doing. And I think I should fight harder. Because what I'm doing is because of the love of God that he put in me and the word tells me that I need to be doing this. He's coming again. And as he told us he will, and because of the love of God and his love for us, it should be a day of rejoicing, but yet there are so many that look and they call it doom and gloom. And they speak of it that way. Why? Because you have too much invested in this plane of existence and your investment is not in the bank of heaven. And I put it that way because a lot of people tend to understand it. What, what are you investing in? You think that, as I've shared with you before, that when you have the most at the end, when it comes time, you win? Do you think that you're going to be able to pack it away and take it with you? Do you think that it's going to increase your status in heaven? Nope. I've shared this with you time and time and time again, and I'll keep on doing it. Get, I tend to get repetitive because it's important and it bears repeating. Here's, God is a respecter of no man or woman. He doesn't care what you have or what you don't have. He doesn't care what you own or what you don't own. He doesn't even care how you smell. And some people don't want to get around people and, and then they start making these gestures openly. And where, Do you think that these people are not embarrassed already and that you making all these absurd gestures and, and openly deriding them? You think that that makes them feel any more comfortable? And how loving is that? Listen to this. You know, lepers' skin was rotting. Their flesh was rotting. And they were alienated and ostracized and they were put outside. They weren't allowed to come near in the villages or cities and towns. And they wandered and they could they weren't allowed to have on clean they had to wear certain clothing and it was not allowed to be laundered because uh, the pharisaical tyrants had decided that if they laundered their clothes, then people wouldn't be able to tell that they were lepers and that they could come in amongst them in disguise. And did that bother Jesus? No, he embraced them and healed them. God is a respecter of no man or woman what you have or you don't have. He doesn't care. What he does care about is the character of your heart. And is his love in your heart? 
as it should be? Are you loving others as you should be? And I share that because it's the same, very much the same way today as it was with Israel when they left Egypt. At each and every turn that didn't go their way, they shook their fists at God and at Moses who delivered them with Moses, brought them out of Egypt. So they shook their fists at God and grumbled and complained to Moses who was doing as God told him to do. And we find that God in one of these in grumblings and one of these attitudinal displays of Israel, we go to the book of Numbers. Actually, we find this in Numbers 21. And we can go to 21, 5 through 9, actually. Flip the page here, sorry. And the people spake against God and against Moses. Wherefore have ye brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? There is no bread, neither is there any water. And our soul loatheth this light bread. What are they talking about? They're talking about the manna from heaven. The manna from heaven that God gave to them that the angels eat. And he brought it to them. And what they're grumbling about, what their complaint was, that they couldn't save it. They were told not to gather it and save it, and yet they tried to do it. They did exactly the opposite of what they were told to do, and they tried to hoard it and save it anyway. And when they went into their little uh, larder, their little boxes where they stored their stuff, it was all worm infested. The worms were everywhere. Well, they were told not to do that because it wouldn't last. Instead of relying on God's supply and fulfilling their needs, they decided to go into what they wanted to do and do it their way anyway. And that didn't work. So they grumbled and they shook their fists at God and complained because God had taken them out. They, they didn't like that light bread. No, they didn't like it because they couldn't have their way. Now, further numbers uh, 21 verse 6. And the Lord sent fiery serpents among the people, and they bit the people, and much people of Israel died. Therefore the people came to Moses and said, We have sinned, for we have spoken against the Lord and against thee. Pray unto the Lord that he take away the serpents from us. And Moses prayed for the people. And the Lord said unto Moses, Make thee a fiery serpent and set it upon a pole. And it shall come to pass that very everyone that is bitten when he looketh upon it, shall live. Moses made a serpent and a brass and put it upon a pole, and it came to pass that if a serpent had bitten any man, when he beheld the serpent of brass, he lived. And the children of Israel set forth and pitched in Oboth. Well, so you don't get your knickers all twisted up. He's also talking about the women. 
because the women were not immune to the snake bites and any man or woman, remember, in that culture in that time, that's what they did. But they, he means men and women. So understand this, though, because I know that there's so many going to jump on this. Well, that's an idol. That's an idol. No, they weren't worshiping the snake. It wasn't made for an idol. It was made to get their focus off the ground and looking down and grumbling at everything and to lift up their eyes heavenward, skyward, up to heaven and toward God where they should have been looking anyway, but they were so busy looking down and grumbling and griping about everything that they completely forgot, which is exactly what the thing is going on today. So busy grumbling about everything that goes on and when we're told to look up for a redemption, because of the love of God and the love that is within him, because God is love, for God so loved the world that he sent his only begotten son that whosoever believed in him should not perish but have everlasting life. So you choose to believe that he is the only begotten son, have faith in God, and have the Holy Spirit to guide your steps. That's redemption. That's rescue. Coming to save you. So instead of doom and gloom and looking down and mopey-dopey about stuff, hello, the revelation of Christ Jesus, he's on the way, and you hear those trumpets, instead of running and cowering in the basement, you should be out in the middle of the intersection, and hopefully you won't get run over because probably everybody's going to be jammed in traffic anyway, not moving anywhere, and just be looking up and praising God that deliverance is here because it is. So instead of looking at it as a dreadful and ter terrible day, because it will be for some, and there's some even I have heard in the churches today that that talk, speak against us, and this is my home. Well, that's unfortunate because my this isn't my home. I'm on a work visa here. I'm a, I'm a diplomatic envoy from the kingdom of heaven, and not to speak arrogantly, although it may sound that way, but that's what I do. I'm doing my father's business and I have a diplomatic visa and I'm here to do my father's business. This is not my home. I'm residing here and he provides me a really nice residence. I'm looking around and, and uh, you know, the things that he's done and I have these, I can brag about this. Have you ever seen lights where you open your closet door and the light comes on, then you close the door and it goes off? It's like a switch. And this I've never seen it. God, God's got these in this house. It's very cool. Anyway, he's provided me a very comfortable place to be. And the devil doesn't want me to be comfortable. He doesn't want me to respond to God's love and the kindness and things that God puts out. But I do and I can't help it because I recognize and see this. But we have to be willing, and as Paul reminds us, that as he has known want and he has known comfort, uh, there was a time when Paul, previously called Saul, was paid by both the Romans and the pharisaical tyrants um, for delivering those that were in the way. Remember, I've shared, they, they weren't called Christians then. They referred to following Jesus as the way, because it was his way. So they were either following his way or the way, and Saul was hunting them down and delivering them because there was a problem. 
And the problem was with the Romans, because there were so many that believed that they were fearful because despite the fact that they were a powerful army, they also were fearful because there were a lot of people. And if there was an uprising, then Rome would have a problem. There were many places where the Romans were just plain and simply outnumbered. And the people, the Pharisees didn't like it because, well, they were Pharisees. And the people were realizing that they were all liars and they didn't have an idea of about righteousness. And as Jesus explained to him, they were forgetting the people. So when Christ Jesus returns, called the Son of Man, and when we see all his power and his glory, which it reveals to that, if you read read the book of Revelation, don't be such a... Uh, read the book. Read the book of Revelation and go in, because when he comes, he's going to come in his glory, as a, not as the sacrificial lamb of God. He's coming as the lion of the tribe of Judah. He's going to have on his crown. He's going to be coming with the host of heaven, and he's going to be coming with the entourage of heaven, as many people wanted him to be, and believed him to be when he came to Jerusalem. That's what they were looking for. And there were so many doubters because he didn't come the way they wanted him to. Well, and that's sad. Because they were expecting him to come as a conquering king. And instead he came humbly and he was executed for our behalf. He redeemed us, he sanctified us, he saved us and gave us an opportunity to have entry into the kingdom of heaven, of which now I am, as I said, I'm on a diplomatic visa here. I work for God, but this is not my home. This is not my home. When I go home, I'm gonna see my loved ones that are up there that went before me. I have a daughter that I never met. I've never ever met her. She was actually, uh, this baby was aborted. This was foolishness so long ago. But I believe because of scriptures that I read and what I am told, have been told, I won't see her. I will know her and she will know me. And she's there and I believe she's there because taken from the womb she wasn't taught guile she wasn't born in a guy and contrary to what many commentators air quotes will say is that children are not born in sin they are born into a broken world and into a world of sin but they are taught guile they don't have it in them they are not born with it and there are so many that speak contrary to that. Ugh, it just fries me sometimes. So for many that are getting satisfaction in their material things and things that they've collected and all that they have here, and they build up their hopes and dreams on what they have here and around them, that when that day comes, when the trumpet sounds and Christ comes, as he promised he will, they're, oh no, oh no, what's going to happen to all my stuff? Well, bye-bye, all your stuff.
I like to be comfort, and I am looking around my study place, and I, the, I have it set up here, but you know what? I'm not going to go, oh, what about this? What about that? What about this? What about I go with what I've got on my back if I have anything or if I'm laying in bed and, well, I go on my jammies <laughs> because it doesn't matter. So if you are seeking the kingdom of God first, it's going to be a deliverance for us from all of this stuff that goes on, all these wars, the derisiveness and the separation and the, the hatred and things that go on. And all these things that happen, the not practicing God's love. And we're going to be delivered from that because of God's love. And so are you building up everything in worldly treasure that can be stolen, rusted, and corrupted? Or are you investing in the kingdom of heaven? And I use that term investing because more people might be able to understand that, what I'm talking about. you investing. And what is that? You just do everything you're supposed to do, do follow the tenets of God, the precepts that God establishes, and do as God says to do and treat each other that way. Man, you're going to, and just run the good race. Stay in the race and, and fight against the devil. And don't ever forget that we are told we are in a spiritual warfare. It's real. If your faith is in Jesus Christ and you are doing what you're told to do, then when you see him coming in all of his glory and with all of the entourage that comes from heaven, you're going to be so happy. You're going to be so happy. And you're going to look up and see that your redemption, your saving, uh, look to the hills from whence your help cometh. All these things that are going on and the things that you, know, you get so caught up in and have a tendency to worry about when you look up and you hear that trumpet sound and the heavens split open and you see the king, the king of kings, the Lord of lords coming. Wow. Wow. That's going to be powerful. So rather than being like the nation of Israel that we find here, that I shared about, there are so many here that do the same thing. And again, the serpent that was lifted up by Moses, the brass serpent, was not an idol. They didn't worship it. They didn't sacrifice to it. They didn't pray to it. They simply lifted up and looked. And their wide scope of vision would not focus up, but lifting their heads up because it was on a high staff and they had to lift their heads up. When they did that, they were saved. But prior to that, they were all looking down, kicking the dirt, kicking the dirt clods and grumbling and griping, shaking their fists at God, griping at God. But at every turn, he provided food, he provided quail, he provided heavenly bread, he provided water. Every time they went someplace, there's a big stone there and Moses would touch it or tap it with his staff and it would gush forth water. 
so that 600,000 people in the desert wilderness would be able to draw water. <sighs> okay. You got this big rock out in the middle of the wilderness. There's no river, nothing. And they're all griping because they don't have anything to drink. And the messengers are coming up to Moses. Moses, Moses, we don't have any water. We have children that are failing out back there. So Moses is directed by God to go wrap the rock. And Moses goes and he taps the rock with his, with his staff. And the thing gushes out water. It comes out a river. And everybody is able to drink. 600,000 plus the sojourners that came out with him. And what does that mean? That means the strangers that were not... Hebrew by birth or raised that way, but they wanted to come because they had been hearing and being taught about God. And now, sadly, they're being taught firsthand that these children that talk about God on one hand, when they don't get their way, they shake their fists at God. That's okay, because they're learning. So how comes the gushing water? Why? Because God loves us. And God is love. And he is truth in always the same way. And he is consistent in that. And we look around and see all the things that change everything around us. Everything changes. But when you look to God, God doesn't change. God is love, period. God is love. But the people were constantly looking down. And so many commentators that we have out today are, uh, they're either vying for the top spot or trying to be what they are not. And completely missing the point of Christ Jesus or the spiritual truth that Jesus speaks about in John and and I read read some of the commentaries, and it, it's so pitiful. Actually, it is actually piteous, and and I cry for them sometimes. For me, I'm sorry. I the the clarity is there. So in John three fourteen and fifteen, right before it talks about believing in in Christ Jesus, for God so loved the world. And it says, and as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. Now here comes the clarity that the commentators completely missed, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have eternal life. So you're going to lift up your eyes, Jesus is going to be lifted up, and then the commentators start totally missing the spiritual point because they don't have spiritual sight and hearing. But Christ Jesus points this out, and with spiritual clarity, actually, for me, and the similitude that was made between the brass serpent, that you lifted up your eyes toward heaven, and you lift up your eyes to Christ, which is where the love of God comes from. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son to whosoever believed in him. And we go, but the commentators go on. And I was reading this commentary. They didn't understand 14 and 15. It's very clear. I, for me, it's very clear. Very clear. Lift up your eyes. And as a serpent to get you to quit looking down at the ground and kicking the dirt clods and kicking around dust and being mopey dopey and griping about everything that you're involved in. 
Look up. Look up to redemption. Look up to where the love of God just poured out all over you. For God so loved the world, not the eeny, meeny, miny, mo of the world, but for God so loved the world, period, didn't make a delineation between, okay, I love this part of the world today, and I'm going to love that part of the world tomorrow, so let's see, how are we going to do this? Uh, oh, goodness gracious. There wasn't any of that going on with God. For God so loved the world, period, that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever, anybody in the world that believes that that's true and has faith in God and wants the guidance of the Holy Spirit is rescued, redeemed, saved, sanctified, and you are an heir and a joint heir in the kingdom of heaven with Christ Jesus. That's pretty powerful. So what's there to mopey dope about? What's complaining? Oh, that's so doom and gloom. I don't want to read the book of Revelation. I don't want to read Matthew 24. Well, excuse me, Christ Jesus is telling us exactly what's going to happen. In Matthew 24, he talks about the days of Noah. So shall it be before the return of the Son of Man. That wasn't really good. And I believe not too long ago, I shared with you that it took 120 years for Noah to finish building the ark. And he was some 600 and some years old when he started. And during that whole time that he was building on the ark, he and his sons who were building it, and he was preaching redemption, trying to get people to repent and be saved, but they didn't want to hear it. Not up until the door closed, God put his hand on it and sealed it, and the rains came down and the floods came up. And it talks about it in the book, God's book, that the wells of the deep broke open and came. That means that everything came out. The groundwater underneath, and see, they didn't even know about that. And that came bubbling up out of the ground. It increased and flooded. The rains came down and floods came up. And then they're screaming and hollering. Oh, help us, help us. We're sorry. Now we want to repent. Well, that's unfortunate. That's unfortunate. But see, they wanted to change your mind, but God, it's not like that. God's not like that. God, when if he tells you, it's going to be a way, it's going to be a way. And when God tells you he loves you, God loves you. And when God says, for I so love the world that I'm going to give my only begotten son. There was a word with me from the beginning, in me, with me. And he's going to come and he's going to die for all your sake because I love you so much. And I don't want you to be, I don't want to flood you. I don't want the earth to swallow you up. He said, I love you. You're my, I, yeah, I gave you choice. And sometimes it pains my heart deeply that you do what you do the way you do. But I want you to have the opportunity to be saved. I want you to have that opportunity. 
so I'm going to share here with you. Uh, this is uh, this is actually parabolic speech too. This is where Jesus learned this stuff from parables. Um, actually, in Numbers twenty three, and uh, this is uh, this is his interaction with Balaam. Um, in Numbers 23 and 19, God is not a man that he should lie, neither the son of man that he should repent, hath he said, and shall lie not, shall he not do it? Or hath he spoken and shall he not make it good? So basically what's being told there, and this is, uh, this is Balaam, is that God is saying what God means to say. And you have commentators that will get on their little happy high horse and they try to say that, well, God meant to say this when he said that. Well, no, he didn't. Because if God had meant to say that, God would have said that. But they try to be, as I've shared already, they try to be something that they are not. And they practice that the high degree of Phariseeism. And what that means is much like we saw the Pharisees do, and as Jesus was teaching, and he told us about that. He told us to be careful of the leaven of the Pharisees. And what was he talking about there? Have faith in God and not in them. God pours out his love. And so it is with the commentators that it was with the, with the Pharisees. And we can find this in Matthew eleven twenty five That he talks about, and he's told us to beware of the Phariseeism, beware of the leaven. And what is leaven? Well, leaven of the Pharisees is the absolute and total, indespicable, incontroversial, uncontroversial, incontroversial, Hypocrisy. And commentators do the same thing. Matthew 11 and 25. And at the time, Jesus, well, let's see. Yeah. And at that time, Jesus answered and said, I thank thee, O Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because thou hast hid these things from the wise and the prudent and hath revealed them unto babes. Even so, Father, for it seemed good in thy sight. All things are delivered unto me of my Father and no man knoweth the Son but the Father. Neither knoweth any man the Father save the Son and he to whomsoever the Son will reveal him. Come unto me all that are labor, labor and are heavy laden and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in the heart, 
and ye shall find rest unto your bone, unto your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. What Jesus is talking about in teaching us there, right there, is that these Pharisees are so caught up in their their intellect and their thought that they they completely forget the scriptures. Remember, uh, I've shared this with you before that they completely forgot that they were actually in bondage for seventy years to uh, Babylon, and they were also in bondage actually for. 400 years in Egypt because Joseph brought them and they were living in the land of Goshen and they were living basically as they had free reign. They could go, they were growing crops and they had their, their cattle and all this stuff out there in the land of Goshen was very fertile and they could, they could grow things and they were living and they were trading and going to market and doing all the things. And then when that Pharaoh that did that for Joseph and the nation of Israel during the famine and all that was going on, the new Pharaoh decided that he was going to pay heed to his counselors and they started slapping chains and irons on the, the men folk and the women were made bond servants in houses and doing maid work and tending the children and the men were out doing hard labor and they were going to work them literally to death and they tried to do that because the counselors convinced Pharaoh to be fearful of them because they were, the population was growing. The point of that is that the Pharisees, that was in scripture. That was written up in Torah. But then they wanted to argue with Jesus because in their own minds, in their own understanding, they had completely forgotten about that. They were in bondage for nearly 400 years in Egypt and they were in bondage to Babylon, but then they wanted to argue with Jesus and say, oh, no, 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 because we've never been in bondage to any man. They started bragging about something that they were absolutely incorrect in. They were in bondage. And two major periods of, his, of Israel's history. In Egypt for nearly 400 years, and in Babylon for 70 years. And this is where we read in the book of Daniel and uh, as well as Daniel and Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. And the Pharisees completely forget Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 as the modern day commentators that we have now. Lean not into your own understanding I need to read that, share that with you specifically? I guess I probably should because there are some that don't know that and they don't, so I will. I'm going to go to Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. So trust in the Lord with all thine heart and lean not unto thine own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge him and he shall direct thy paths. Be not, and I'm going to further read in 7 and 8. Be not wise in thine own eyes, fear the Lord, and depart from evil. It shall be health to thy navel and marrow to thy bones. You'll grow from it. You'll be healthy. You'll be much better off in doing that. But yet, you have those, as 
the Pharisees did that will choose not to do that. They're, they're smarter than everybody else and that they're much smarter than the great I am. Which is the pinnacle, you might say. So when Moses asked who he should say sent me, and God simply told Moses, I am sent you. I am the same now as I was and I will be. I am. He didn't expound. I'm, I'm paraphrasing there. But that title simply says it all. So why are these commentators trying to figure out everything about God and trying to say, well, you know, if God, God, God meant this when he said that. No, God said exactly what he meant to say. So just believe. Have faith in God that you have so much faith in so many things else that you don't or shouldn't have, but you have faith in that and them but you can't have faith in God or you won't have faith in God. And as I've heard so many excuses for not, well, how am I supposed to have faith in something I can't see or someone I can't see? Uh, well, for the same way that you have faith in the mechanics worked on the airplane when it takes off and leaves the ground, did you see them do it? No. Do you see them working on it now? No. But you just get on that plane and you go. Do you know that it has full tanks? Did you see them fill it? No. But you have faith that they did. The mechanic that works on your car, automobiles, you know, and I, I use this as a similitude and I go to this uh, analogy all the time because it's you do we we do we put faith in so many things that we cannot see and we don't but yet you can't believe in God because you don't see him what a lame excuse I'm sorry but that's just a lame excuse and just like what Jesus was explaining in Matthew eleven twenty five. They're so caught up in their own intellect and in their own brains and in their own mindset, just like the commentators today. Practicing that Phariseeism is exactly what they're doing today. They're so caught up in their own intellect and their own understanding that they have no way that they can explain the love of God. They have no way to explain anything that's scriptural. Failing miserably and forgetting scriptures. And I remind you again that we're told in Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Lean not into your own understanding. Seek that knowledge, truth, and wisdom from God. And that's why, brothers and sisters, that God's love is beyond understanding. But so busy and finite thought and trying to figure it out instead of just believing that you have faith in so many other things but you can't have faith that God's love is so 
unknowing. It's so deep. It's so broad, so wide. And and I believe that that Paul also speaks to this in, in Ephesians 3. Oh, that just came to memory. Sorry, I didn't have it marked because I wasn't going to share, but now I'm going over there. I'm heading that way. Just bear with me, please. I'm turning some pages. Uh, sorry, I'm trying to find it. Okay, so here we go in Ephesians 3, and I'm going to read starting in verse 9. And to make all men see what is the fellowship of the mystery, which from the beginning of the world hath been hid in God, who created all things by Jesus Christ, to the intent that now unto the principalities and the powers in heavenly places might be known by the church the manifold wisdom of God, according to the eternal purpose which he proposed in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence by f the faith of him. And brethren and sisters, faith. We're talking about faith. You have faith in so many other things. But in attempting to be again the, the one with the best commentator, commentation, and um, what they do is they try to explain away the love of God, and they, or they try to explain love. It's so crazy that they completely miss the mark. Completely. And what, they, what these commentators do, it. it <laughs> They tried to they tried to declare this uh, the three love theory. Okay. Well, here's something that you need to understand about theory. It's a proposed explanation which is still just conjecture without proof, yet attempting to pander it as proof for their ideas, which is exactly what the commentators do. The three love theory. Nothing is proven, just conjecture. And they say that, well, it's like this, like that. And so then they try to convince you that's the truth. And it's just like we see that Christ talks about, you have to be very cautious because this is so like the Pharisees and their hypocrisy. They completely forget about the people. They for completely forget about the love of God. These people are trying to explain or have a commentation about the uh, love of uh, three love theory, which has not been at all proven. It's just purely conjecture. It's a thought. And they try to pander it as truth because they thought it up. Well, there's no proof anything they talk about that no proof 
Matthew 23 talks about the hypocrisy of the Pharisees and talks about them. And that they do it all. I mean, this this is very much like the commentators today. Matthew 23 is so, mm, is so on point. And the thing that's, that also intrigues me is that it's so relevant to our day and age today as it was then when Matthew wrote these words that Christ was teaching. But yet you have individuals that say that they want to rewrite the Bible to make it more relevant to today. Well, excuse me, just in this one chapter that Matthew noted, it is so much like today. I'm going to read through this briefly and, and jump over to this, share some of these other scriptures with you. But we find here that then spake Jesus to the multitude and to his disciples, saying, the scribes and the Pharisees sit in Moses' seat. Basically, what that's saying is that they're, they're trying to be the leader of the nation. And they want to be in charge. And they're going to tell you how to do all the things. All therefore whatsoever they bid you observe that you observe and do. But do not yet after their works. For they say and do not. Basically what they're saying is do as I say. But don't do as I do. Because I don't do everything I'm telling you. You just do it because I tell you to do it. So Jesus is telling the people to be cautious, be wary, and do, because if you don't, they're going to beat you up and they're going to have the temple guards do bad things. For they bind heavy burdens and grievous to be borne and lay them on men's shoulders, but they themselves will not move them with one of their fingers. Again, do as I tell you, not as I do. But all their works they do for the seen, to be seen of men. They make broad their phylacrities and enlarge the borders of their garments. Remember, phylacrities are what they take on special occasions and they put pieces of scripture in that and they tie one around their head and they tie one against their arms. So in these special occasions, they're seen. So what do they do? They make them bigger and more ornate so that attention is drawn to them. And the borders on their garment, and this is what Jesus is talking about, that everybody can tell who they are and what they are when they walk through the marketplace and they bow down and they back away. They love that. They love that. And love the uppermost rooms of the feasts and chief seats in the synagogues and greetings in the markets and to be called a men, rabbi, rabbi. See, they love that. They love that false, those false accolades because that's what they desire. And remember, Jesus has shared this before. He said, when you see them doing this stuff, they've got the reward. But be not ye called rabbi, for one is your master, even Christ and all ye are brethren. And call no man your father upon the earth, for one is your father which is in heaven. And this is what Jesus is trying to get you to understand. The love of God. And that is given of God only and not of them. <laughs> and uh, again, we hear in uh, Matthew... 
23 and 23. Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For ye pay tithe of mint and anise and cumin, and have omitted the weightier matters of the law, judgment, mercy, and faith. These ought ye have done, and not to leave the other undone. So basically, yeah, you do as you say, but not as you do. And what he's reminding them is that you, you're doing that very thing that you're telling everybody else not to do, and you have forgotten completely the people. Ye blind guides, which strain at a gnat and swallow a camel. Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For ye may clean the outside of the cup and of the platter, but within they are full of extortion and excess. Thou blind Pharisees, cleanse first that which is within the cup and platter, that the outside of them may be clean also. Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For ye are like unto whited sepulchres, which indeed appear beautiful outward, but are within full of dead men's bones and of all uncleanness. All uncleanness. Even so ye outwardly appear righteous unto men, but within ye are full of hypocrisy and iniquity. Wowzer. So this is exactly what's going on today. We have those same individuals that vaunt themselves to a higher position above others, and they want to make sure that you read their commentations more than you read anybody else, and they're going to try to tell you things that are not factual or truthful. And then they try to explain the love of God. <laughs> and they can't explain that because they have no concept. They have no concept. They have no idea about it because they don't pay attention. And then what they want to do is they want to explain away by use of a theory that has no basis of facts. And that's exactly what a theory is. is pure conjecture and made up. And Luke 21 12, 20, uh, 12, 1, I'm sorry. In the meantime, when there were gathered together an innumerable multitude of people, insomuch that they trod one upon another, uh, Jesus began to say unto his disciples, First of all, beware ye of the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. For there is nothing covered that shall not be revealed, neither hid that shall not be known. What Jesus is telling us is that if you have spiritual sight and spiritual hearing, you will know it. And Jesus prayed several times thanking the Father for that that's given to him that he has shared with the disciples. And that you have those that think themselves so intelligent. They get so caught up in their own intellect that they miss so many things around. Uh, what's that old saying? You can't see the forest for the trees. Because they got their nose stuck right up against the trunk of the tree. They can't see the rest of the forest. Might not be a good similitude, but I've heard that before. Brothers and sisters, just remember that God is love. It is a theory. And faith is power. I pray for you. Am I going out? Am I coming in every day? Be blessed.